Good evening, dummies. Welcome to episode 134 of Don't Unfriend Me. It's Friday, April 9th. It's Red Friday. Remember, everyone deployed. Did that backwards. Remember, everyone deployed. Remember, everyone deployed. Holy jeez. New setting. Usually the background stuff I can hit because I know where it's at, but new shirt, and I'm not very good at this. You'll, you'll also notice that I'm wearing my my other shirt. I decided to go find a lass and a wee lass. I took her in the bar, has a little bit of whiskey. I took her back home and knocked her on a belly wagon and then uh, gave him a little skull cap. I don't know what this is. I was on Amazon. I got hit by an ad. I don't know what to say. I never buy into that crap. I'll be like, hey, honey, we need to pick up some weed killer when we go to Home Depot. And all of a sudden, I'm on Facebook. Weed killer, $27.99 for 57 gallons delivered tomorrow. I'm like, wow, Mark Zuckerberg's listening to us. And then I'll just be like, geez, hunt, I've got that not so fresh feeling. OB, buy it. It's like a spring summer's day coming out of your ass. Well, this happened. And I can't imagine I said scully cap. But the ad popped up and I looked at it and I said, well, I'm not a golfer. I've never been in a paddy wagon. I've never blown up English people. And I've never blacked out drunk and thought I was a leprechaun. But for some reason, I decided to get the scully cap. Somebody at work said, you look like a WWE wrestler. And I'm like, well, those guys are pretty built. So let's hope that that's the case and not because he's a buffoon. But I'm pretty happy with it. I don't know. You guys, you guys tell me in the comments. Does it play? Should I keep it? Do I look like a a one-trick pony Sherlock Holmes? Because if I had it coming out the back the same way, that's most surely what it would be, and I'd have to have a little dangle up here. I don't know. I'm not going to spend much more time on the hat. Folks, welcome to Don't Unfriend Me. And yes, this hat may stay with me, or you'll ridicule me, and I will throw it away because I'm insecure, and I'm really a big guy who's just got a soft, soft heart and is extremely sensitive and thin-skinned. All right, folks, what are we going to do tonight? We're going to have a good show. We're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about Black Lives Matter. They are threatening. Black Lives Matter has most assuredly taken the turn to a terrorist group. Why? Because they have a list of demands, and that's synonymous with terrorist groups. Terrorist groups also burn shit, blow it up, and destroy property or people if they want to in the aftermath. Let's just find out what BLM is saying and what we can see if the Chauvin case doesn't go the way they want it to go. We're going to talk about mass shootings. Gun control said on my show the other night that Joe Biden on Thursday was going to make some gun control control measures and ban ghost guns in certain parts and things to that effect, which would have absolutely nothing to do with mass shootings under the guise of throwing a sacrificial lamb to the gun control people, just like bump stocks. I mean, really, does anyone miss bump stocks? I don't. Just made your weapon inaccurate, even though it fired extremely fast. Reduce your trigger sensitivity. Learn how to pull. That's all I got to say. Moving on. We don't need bump stocks. And then the unemployment tick. There is an uptick in unemployment. And I thought Joe Biden said, I have the keys to the economy. I know exactly what to do. All that other type of stuff. Well, obviously, he does not. Lost almost a million jobs. We've been on a recovery since then. What's going on? I will tell you. Remember, like I said, Red Friday, get your shirts out. I would appreciate it if you would celebrate Red Friday. It's important. Wear red. It's an easy thing. You can wear a pin. You can wear a hat. You can wear a scully cap that's red. Maybe I'll find one too, and we can share in my goofiness together. Well, movements, folks. We're talking about movements tonight. No, not bowel movements, but actual movements like BLM. And I think another movement is the LGBTQ movement. It suffers from poor acronym selection, and they should change it to GQBLT. People would really enjoy it. It sounds so classy and delicious. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Are you there always after me, Lucky Charms? They're magically delicious. 
Welcome to Don't Unfriend Me, folks. As I said earlier, we have a few topics to go over tonight. Who am I? What do I do? And why are you listening to this goofball? My name is Matthew Spear. I'm the host of Don't Unfriend Me. Last episode did very, very well. In fact, we're seeing an uptick, not in unemployment, but the amount of viewers and viewership. So thank you, folks, for watching the show. It means a great deal. With 15,000 people, uh, it's nice. I, I look at Ben Shapiro's page, and he has a million people. Some of his videos maybe get 700 likes. Uh, and the fact that we're at 50, you know, 60, 80 likes, that's not bad. I mean, we're on pace. We're doing pretty well. I'm pretty excited that you're participating. So if you like the video, please give it a like, share, and subscribe and do all that type of stuff. You can find me here on all my social media sites. You can actually click right here on the red envelope to subscribe on YouTube. And then Facebook and Instagram and everything else, you can do like, share, follow. All of that helps. We share a ton of stuff together. And I thank you. It has been growing the site exponentially. So continue to do it. 15,000 followers now. We just clicked that. You may have seen that on the site. And your loyalty, you watching, means a great deal. You may notice that I've got the big mic wind cover here. I did a little voiceover work for our commercial at Valor, and I'm pretty excited about it. It sounds pretty good, if I do say so myself. If you'd like to hear the podcast, the shows, and all of that type of stuff, please stop by. Don'tunfriendme.com. My catalog is there. You can interact. You can say hi to me and all that other stuff right over at donutfriendly.com. The Avs play tonight, so do the Houston Astros. I'm excited about that. Astros 6-1, and one, and the Avalanche finally got their butts kicked by Minnesota Wild. Congrats, Minnesota. We are 5-8 and eight in the season. So the Avs, uh, out of eight games, have won five. I'm excited. Hopefully we see each other in the playoffs. I think there's a little bit of payback that's needed to the Minnesota Wild. Let's get started tonight, folks. We don't have a lot of time because the games start in about 25 minutes. Black Lives Matter, there was an activist that had some things to say, and this is a personality for the BLM movement, but I believe this lady is a model and a social pariah. I want to show you the video and what she said, and then we're going to get back and talk about it real quick. If George Floyd's murderer is not sentenced, just know that all hell is going to break loose. Don't be surprised when buildings are on fire. She's just saying, sorry for the vape. All Black Lives Matter activists, and especially this one, has a huge social media following. And she threatened all hell is going to break loose if former Minneapolis police Derek Chauvin, the officer, is not sentenced for the death of George Floyd. The Daily Wire reported. Maya Eccles, a model with nearly a half million TikTok followers, made her statement in the video that she apparently took down. Here's my question before we even get started. I've said some things that I'm not particularly proud of on the show going back and I go, well, that was a little insensitive, but I'll never take it down. In fact, it's against everything I believe in. And I think it's important that if we say something or do something that people don't agree with, that we have discourse and have a conversation. Now, I've been fortunate enough where I seem to ride the middle fairly well, where I am not offending too many people on the left or right. But when I do, I would like to hear it. I'd like you to tell me why I'm wrong. And we can have a good conversation or we can have a bad conversation. But the whole point is, right, don't unfriend me. That That's the name of the show. And it really doesn't mean you can't unfriend me. It's just like, let's think before we just take someone out of our lives. I don't understand if her convictions are true and she means what she said, which she obviously does because she made a video on it, knowing that millions of or hundreds of thousands of people were going to see it and ultimately millions because it would go viral, knowing Fox News is going to pick it up, the blaze is going to pick it up, that everyone's going to pick it up and show it and say, look at this travesty. I'm going to do it too. I have a little bit of a different take. Why would you take it down? Because the point is, is that then the narrative is that you didn't believe in what you said and you've done something wrong. And I truly believe that once you do that, whether it's the right or the left, it's blood in the water and the sharks will come out and take a bite. So I would rather have had her stand her ground, but that's not what she did. The clip has been preserved for prosperity. It always is. The moment it goes on the internet, it's there forever. If George Floyd's murder is not sentenced, just know that all hell is going to break loose. Those are the words. And why are we surprised? Is there anyone who's surprised? I'm not. All hell has been breaking loose for four years. They threw temper tantrums over Donald Trump. We've seen the evidence. They've seen the video 10 minutes before with Mr. George Floyd and what happened. They saw his 
toxicity level and the fentanyl that was in his system where there is a question, was it police officers or the fentanyl or a combination of both that killed him? It's probably all three to put together. The point is, is that the stories came out about what type of person he is, his convictions, his felonies, putting a knife to a pregnant woman's stomach, all of these things. Yet we have marked him as a hero. And I think the truth of this, which people might not like to hear, is that he's a hero because he died. I don't know if that martyrdom is actually what BLM needs because there are plenty of African-American people who can be heroes to the community, can help whites understand that the things that they say and the toxicity that they have towards the black culture, we can educate and we can help. But having a felon be a hero simply because he was murdered by a police officer isn't a stigma that I would want associated with my movement. But alas, it isn't my movement. Don't be surprised when buildings are on fire. Just saying. End quote. What's the background? Chauvin's high-profile murder trial began last week and is expected to last a month. He's accused of unintentional second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and manslaughter in connection with Floyd's death. According to the AP, there is concern as to whether Chauvin can get a fair trial with pressure on jurors and with some potentially fearing the consequences to the city and country should they reach a verdict others oppose. And I think ultimately this is the problem. If the jurors are worried about what could possibly happen on an outcome, then this should be a mistrial immediately. It should be a mistrial. And it should be taken to another state, another county, another city, whatever it takes. Jurisdiction should end in the city of Minneapolis. And the reason why is because if we're already talking about that jurors are worried, why are they worried if they're not supposed to know anything about this case? If they don't understand the social parameters that it would happen, that is the whole thing. These jurors are supposed to be vetted for, from a point of ignorance. It's a jury of your peers who are not based in judgment, either left nor right or center. They simply come in and they hear the facts and then they go ahead and make a verdict. If we're already talking about this, then it's already a mistrial. Because ultimately, Derek Chauvin deserves, or Officer Chauvin deserves a fair trial as much as George Floyd deserves the proper representation for his death or murder, depending upon what the jury finds. We haven't decided that yet. It isn't murder yet. I understand we've seen a video. I understand we've heard the autopsy. I've heard that the blue line is standing on Chauvin's side, and I know a lot of people are against what Chauvin did. But the point is, is innocent until proven guilty. We don't know what it is until the jury decides. We all have our opinions. But the point I'm trying to make is that he most assuredly deserves a fair trial, and it already sounds like that that is thrown to the wayside. A high fence installed around the courthouse for the trial is a daily reminder for jurors of security concerns. On some days, protesters gathered just beyond it, holding signs that read, Convict Derek Chauvin, and the world is watching. Jurors are well aware that Floyd's death led to months of protests in Minneapolis and cities nationwide. They're aware, too, that the thieves took advantage of demonstrations to break into, ransack, and sometimes burn downtown stores. Numerous people expressed unease about serving on the panel for Chauvin's trial during the more than two weeks of jury selection. At least one who became teary-eyed was excused, as were others who were visibly unnerved. Others displayed no such apprehension. A black man in his 30s who was ultimately put on the jury wrote on a questionnaire that the Chauvin trial was the biggest case of his lifetime. And he added, I would love to be a part of it. I don't care if the whole city burned down. Eccles certainly isn't alone in her sentiments. Days after Floyd's death, when nationwide riots were in full swing, Ashley Gant, a Black Lives Matter leader in Rochester, New York, spoke in front of the crowd and the media and declared she didn't care if the whole city burned down. If there was looting, if there was things on fire, that it is not what is important. What is important is why these things happen, Gantt said, before telling reporters that they're responsible to make sure that the story's heard. She appeared to justify violence given that civil rights laws were passed after the rioting that broke out after the death of Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968. I'm just tired of you guys not putting the correct narrative out there, Gantt added. I don't care if the whole city burned down. We need justice, and this is the story that needs to be told. The Daily Wire said Gantt later tried to soften her words, of course, backpedaling, saying that, of course, she does not want the city set on fire. 
But she does want people to understand that when it comes to sustainable change, sometimes we have to do whatever it takes to get it. Wow, doublespeak, fantastic. Here's the problem. Once again, the convictions. If you are calling for cities to be burned down, why? Why? If you believe in America and you believe in our legal system, which I can understand the trepidation if you are a minority, what are you going to do to change it? You've put Democratic judges in place. You've put Democratic mayors, senators, state legislature, city council. It's all democratically run, especially in Minnesota. If you can't get what you want through legislation, Does that say that the system's broken or who you're voting for is broken? There is no more of an excuse to vote something other than Democrat than that. If we're rioting and we're burning stuff down to be heard, who's not listening to you? Because these inner cities are ran by the Democrats. Most assuredly, every single one of them. Why would you need to burn something down? Why don't you burn it down in a different way? The proverbial way. By changing the same old crap by putting the same people in. Instead, we get these demands that will never be met because we do not negotiate with terrorists. And if you are threatening to burn things down, destroy businesses, attack police officers, and any other violence that you are through participation or through stirring up this cause to do, you are a criminal. You're a terrorist, period, plain and simple. Just as much as the Ku Klux Klan, just as much as white supremacists, just as much as the people who storm the Capitol, you're just as guilty. And just because your cause is worthy, like the IRA, which I support, obviously, with my scully cap, you're still a terrorist. List of demands isn't the way it works. Get representation. Have goals. Put people in power who support BLM. But here's the problem. More and more people are disassociating themselves with BLM. Because what they do is not right. Here are the demands. We demand that Derek Chauvin be convicted and sent to prison. That's not the way it works. I don't know if you've read a book, and obviously by your list of demands you haven't, but that's not the way we do. We don't have lynch mobs here. We had them in the past, and we know what that looked like in the Wild West. We know what it looked like in the Deep South. Every single person in America knows that trial by lynching is not the way we do things. African-Americans know it. White people know it. Our government knows it. And that's why it's been abolished. The jury selection, oh, here's the other thing. The jury selection process in the United States is still racist. We demand a black woman and man whose ancestors descend from slavery to be on the jury. Once again, you don't get to stack the jury. You have challenges and you have acceptance. You are allowed as the defense and the prosecution to talk to all juries members and to go ahead and dismiss ones or affirm them based upon their belief. And that is why it has to be equal and balanced. It's a jury of your peers. It's not a jury of one race or one color. That's not the way. And inherently that is racist. Isn't it funny that BLM says some of the most racist things for a group that's against racism? We demand the same amount of money on security for the trial be spent on housing the homeless in Minneapolis. Well, that's legislation. And once again, if you're worried about where the money is being spent or not being spent, maybe you should stop putting money into liberal arts and museums and dance-offs in Minneapolis and defunding the police and put it into areas like non-suburban areas, inner cities, education, give school choice, more private schools, more family unit, boys and girls clubs. All of these things can help. And I agree with you. Sure, that money should go, but that's once again not my decision, not yours, without a vote. We demand that the case of Thurman Blevins, Jamar Clark, and Terrence Franklin be reopened and that their families are properly compensated. What is properly compensated when a jury has already decided? You have all the right to civilly go after the police department. George Floyd's family just got $27 million for a police officer who was way gung-ho, who had history of violence, and they deserve every single penny. That doesn't make it whole. That doesn't stop things. And civilly, people are sued all the time when criminally they're not held accountable. I've got one name, O.J. Simpson. We demand the city of Minneapolis requires all police officers to carry personal professional liability insurance. No, 
No, you're not going to do that because you have to understand that the job that a police officer does makes them vulnerable and their families. They don't need personal insurance so you can sue them and make more money. You can sue the city and you can sue the state. Nothing is stopping you from doing that. That is simply a grab to make more money and bankrupt police officers. They have a hard enough job. And if you never, ever want to see police on the street again, put something like that in place because already they're being convicted for things that they shouldn't be. They already have to have internal affairs up their yin-yangs every five seconds. And if they get so much as a lottery ticket winning 50 bucks, they're accused of impropriety. They already have one of the most stressful jobs in the world right up there with air traffic controllers. Do you think it's easy to be a cop? Ask any inner city person who was involved in gangs who made the transition and then went to police. They will give you a very balanced spectrum of the equation. And they will tell you most assuredly that living in a gang was just as terrifying as being a police officer. You're simply changing the uniform in the side that you're on. It's a tough job, and they deserve respect, and they don't need to have their decisions questioned every second that could cost them their lives because they're worried about a lawsuit and personal defamation. We demand the contract with the police union is renegotiated. Once again, legislation. We demand community control of the police. What does that mean? If you want community of control of the police, then you should file for a law that allows constables or privatized police. San Francisco has that. Some of their segments and some of their areas are handed off to privatized police to run because there's not enough officers to do it. Houston has constables that actually are elected officials like sheriffs. There's plenty of ways to have community police or if you're really, really hard up for it, create community watch. Create a guardian angel sector in your city, whatever it takes in your town. We should have citizens stand up and turn people in, but it goes both ways. If you want community control of the police, then the community actually has to stand up and testify against the drug lords and the gangs and the people who are killing instead of slamming the door in the police's face. It is a give and take symbiotic relationship. Police are ill-effective when the city and the towns will not back them up. If we're going to have courage and ask our police officers to rise above and have wings and a halo, then the community has to do the same and quit shutting their doors. We demand an end to the 133 grant program. You can't demand anything. We demand a national database of killer cops. You know what? There are no such thing as killer cops. They're not employed. Police officers make bad decisions. Some of them are ill-trained, and some of them are not suitable to be police officers. But killer cops... Really? Would we use the same terminology for black youth in the inner cities? Absolutely not. Let's be transparent. Things happen. People make mistakes. Derek Chauvin, honestly, made a huge one, and he will be held accountable for it. I believe that. But because it has to be political is why he'll be held accountable. Because if there was any evidence that showed him to be innocent, do you truly believe that that jury is going to clear him of all charges? I don't. A national database of killer cops, why? What benefit would that serve other than to have them systematically targeted and assassinated by people who want to do them harm? And if you think there is not an effort to kill cops in this country, that is as ignorant as saying there's not an effort to kill inner city black youth. We demand that Hardell-Sherrill Act be passed into law. Once again, legislation. You don't get to demand anything. We demand that families of stolen lives be granted access to any body camera footage within 24 hours of a police-related incident that results in a death. I couldn't agree more. And there's a proper way to do that. Your lawyers can actually subpoena for that information. And yes, it should be released. However, in a crime scene, and the way things are done is everything is put on lockdown. Details are not released for a reason. If there are witnesses, they want to use that footage. If there's evidence there, they can go back to the scene of the crime. It's on lockdown because this is the way that all criminal investigations, from somebody jaywalking all the way to murder, are handled. You don't release information during an active investigation, and that has nothing to do with trying to hide something. It has everything to do with ensuring that there is a proper investigation to protect the police officer, to protect the victims. And that is what's called consistency. And everyone deserves that. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty. We've already talked about this on the other show, and I will link it right here. Reparations for the American descendants of Chattel slavery that addresses the criminal justice system and stopping police terror in the United States. 
Why has Black Lives Matter been bad for black people? I'm going to take this on. And this may not be popular, and that's okay. But Black Lives Matter does a lot of myth-making about racist policing and how it's unwittingly contributed to a violent crime wave. Why Black Lives Matter has been bad for black people and what sort of person, what sort of monster could deny that black lives matter? Because I am not saying that black lives don't matter. That is ridiculous. I have said that on this show plenty of times. I agree. Black lives most assuredly matter in every facet. But I'll do you one better. And I hate to say but after that because that should be a period. An amendment to that statement is some Black Lives Matter. That may not be very popular, but it's true. We focus more on police and black crime than anything else in this country, even though it is an infinitesimal amount. We make this focus paramount and first in front on the headlines. We identify people as black or white. When mass shooters happen, we wait for the race. This is a problem. If you're going to say black lives matter, then all black lives should matter. You don't even need to say all lives matter. We know that. It's God's law. It's our nation's law. All lives matter. Fine. So people who say all lives matter, it's dismissive. It's like people who say there's a house and there's six houses there. You got a brown house, a white house, a black house, a yellow house, and a green house, and a house that is a male and a female. And it's one standing up, one sitting down, whatever. One who has uh, female parts and says he's a male. One who has male parts and says he's a female, whatever it is. And they say all lives are matter, but the black house is on fire. Which one matters more at that time? That's the analogy that's been made, and it is a complete fallacy. Because if you allow the black house to burn, all the other houses will burn in the neighborhood too. That's the problem. Lives do matter. It's important for us to understand that it's not about race. It's about getting better at what we do. It's about trying to train and develop and help the inner cities come out of the ghetto. Help these police officers who are underpaid and stressed. Create community for both parties. This is what needs to happen. But simply saying Black Lives Matter isn't going to change anything. We can kneel in front of the flag. We can say that we have a list of demands. The only thing that is going to change this is to stop violent crime, where police officers have to stop making decisions between putting a black man down forever or helping that black, brown, white, or whatever color person they are out of the ghetto out of tough situations. And that's really what police are there for, is to protect and to serve. That's their job. That's their mission. But this isn't what Black Lives Matter says. This is not what they believe. And ultimately, Black Lives Matter is hurting opinion of African Americans in the United States, and I'll tell you why. This movement dominated upper-middle-class discourse in the U.S. between 2015 and 17 and made international figures of activists like Sean King and DeRay McKesson before disappearing from the headlines over the past year or two. It is general, And the only time that BLM is in the headlines in a positive light anymore is damn near never. You'll hear that there's individual people or that there are protests, but you don't see the burnings and the rioting and the things going on in Oregon on the evening news on most stations. You'll see it on Fox and a few internet media companies. BLM activists made stark and unforgettable points. Colonel Bicco uh, said that the police murder an innocent black man every 28 hours. They backed this up by pointing to a litany of what were often described as racially motivated police shootings michael brown alton sterling philando castile and more the movement was responsible for many major american police departments adopting mandatory body cameras and for a return in some area to less intrusive strategies of community policing good and noble work for sure but not so fast i like other center-right socialists are social purveyors and studiers like myself, who look a lot into this from a sociology perspective and read up on this quite a bit. And whether it be about white privilege or toxic masculinity or racism in America or any of the top books today that are infiltrating the minds of our youth, 
There is one named Heather McDonald. She began empirically to investigate the BLM movement internally, and I've read a lot of her stuff. Over the past few years, she's done this work, and to an overwhelming extent, she found that the movement's core claims were widely exaggerated or simply false. American law enforcement officers actually kill very few people of any kind on an annual basis, and black people are not overrepresented among police shooting victims once a basic adjustment for group crime rates is made. Now, you can make any stat look good or bad, depending upon how you filter it, but this is fairly common. Taking the base of the population, you go ahead and take the overall crime rate based upon race, and you have a number. Many or most of the shooting victims lionized by Black Lives Matter were not heroes, but rather street criminals killed during violent scuffles with the police. And finally, the police pullback cheered by BLM and its allies has produced a Ferguson effect that caused U.S. murders to jump by more than 1,500 in a single year. Their first point is the most important. The U.S. and other Western countries are not full of murderous killer cops, psychopaths with badges, executing completely innocent people of color. Hence, the term killer cops is ridiculous. I've said this many times on my show. About 1,200 Americans of all races were killed by police during the representative year of 2015, around the times Black Lives Matter began. Only 258 of these people, or 21.5% of the total, were African American. It's a huge number. It doesn't matter. It's too many. But the point being is, according to the calculations I've done, the total number of unarmed black folks killed specifically by white cops was 17. Several scholars have pointed out that the percentage of people killed by police who happen to be black, 22% in this case, is higher than the overall percentage of blacks in the U.S. society, which is 12 to 13%. But even this difference disappears if we adjust for the higher black crime rate. It is this that largely predicts encounters with the police. The black crime rate was 2.4 times the white crime rate, according to the latest Bureau of Justice Statistics report, which I've shown you on the show. There is no police war on black people. In this context, the specific high-profile incidents popularized by BLM take on a new gloss. Rather than examples of near murder of black men being gunned down with no provocation or reason, many are revealed to be tragic but mundane incidents where criminals were killed while struggling with the police. We now know that the gentle giant Michael Brown, most often pictured in a high school graduation gown, which always happens, was a linebacker-sized legal adult who had committed a brutal strong-arm robbery just before being shot while apparently fighting with an uninformed police officer for his gun, ununiformed police officer for his gun. Similarly, the Alton Sterling case, perhaps the defining BLM matter to take place in the American South, turned out to involve a career criminal and convicted pedophile who was shot while carrying a loaded gun. Police were called to the scene specifically to respond to a report that Sterling was threatening another minority man with his gun. Even those BLM cases, which indisputably were regrettable tragedies, and there certainly were some, seem rarely, if ever, to have been motivated by racism. In the Philando Castile situation, for example, a popular and professional school district employee was killed while attempting to pull out a fully legal firearm in a safe way. Awful. The Hispanic police officer who killed Mr. Castile had mistakenly identified him as the perpetrator of a recent armed robbery in the area. Just as the overall narrative of police genocide collapses under close investigation, so do most of the individual cases that compromise it. However, history shows us that widespread belief in things which are not actually real can exert significant influence on human affairs and psyche. This was certainly the case with the Black Lives Matters narrative, due almost entirely to officers' fears of being labeled racist or trigger-happy. Law enforcement officers in multiple major cities began to police less aggressively. In Chicago, which was probably not atypical, police stops dropped by an astounding 90% between 15 and 16, from 150,346 during the first quarter of 15 to 20,908 during the same period of 16. Unsurprisingly, Because of this, gun violence and other major crimes skyrocketed in Chicago and nationally, too. A phenomenon referred to law enforcement officials as the Ferguson effect. The effect is is quantifiable. FBI data indicates that U.S. murders increased by a remarkable 1,500 between 15 and 16, surging from 15,883 to 17,413. This increase came on top of an earlier jump from 14,164 murders in 2014, the year of the Michael Brown shooting, to 15,883 in 15. 
While Hispanic and white ethnic communities were hit hard by this unexpected crime wave, its impact was greatest among black Americans. Heather McDonald has noted that nearly 900 more black people were murdered in 16 than in 2015, on top of an 800-plus victim increase between 14 and 15. As a direct result, the 7,900-odd blacks killed in 16 were 1,300 more than the white people killed, which includes Hispanics. Despite the white population being itself quite violent and five times as large as the black population. Notably, and unfortunately, this new normal for crime seems to be stabilized among all races. The January 17 and 18 reporting year saw 17,294 murders, barely 100 less than 16. The intentions of most BLM activists surely were of the best. However, facts do and must matter when we judge political movements. In reality, Black Lives Matter was to a striking degree based upon false claims supported by dubious anecdotes and actual responsible for an upsurge in violent crime. It is hard to avoid a brutal but accurate one-sentence epitaph that Black Lives Matter got a lot of young black men and women killed. And that is a fact and a scary and terrible truth. Unemployment, weekly jobless claims for the week that ended April 3rd rose to 744,000. The previous week, there had been 719,000 jobless claims, and analysis expected the number to drop significantly to 680,000. It did not happen, and it was the second week in a row where analysts expected the number of jobless claims to drop, but they rose instead. Overall, as you would expect, jobless claims have been dropping as the government's economy-killing pandemic regulations have been loosened. However, just as a point of comparison, in 2019, before the coronavirus hit, jobless claims were typically running at about 200,000 per week. In other words, the economy is still in really bad shape, although that is being deliberately masked by the government at the moment. People may be wondering how so many Americans can be out of work, so many small businesses went under, and so many other businesses suffered slowdowns last year. That the stock market is high and the economy doesn't seem to be tanking. Well, one of the biggest reasons the Biden administration seems so hell-bent on pushing through an infrastructure stimulus on top of the coronavirus stimulus is because they're trying to float the economy, keep the stock market high, and hold off an inevitable economic contraction a little longer. Keep in mind that this stimulus money is on top of the fact that 22 to 23% of the entire money supply we have was printed in 2020. Let me say that again, 22 to 23% of the entire money supply we have was printed in 2020. Unfortunately, all of this is not a cost-free proposition. Money that's borrowed to put into a stimulus has to be paid back. The new money that's printed with nothing to back it, that increases inflation. The economic consequences for the irresponsible lockdowns are still coming, but as long as the Biden administration can push them out past another election, they don't care about the people that will be paying the bills. Taxes are going to be raised. Gas prices will go up. Someone will have to pay for this. He's now has a new proposed budget of $1.7 trillion. And that's not really anything to scoff at, considering Donald Trump did the same thing and Obama and everybody else. And we keep kicking the can down the road. The problem is, is defense has not been appraised for inflation. And defense is one of the lowest spends on the ticket. Infrastructure is most assuredly important, but not during the middle of a crisis. There are so many things we can do to stimulate the economy. He can take away some of the regulation that he's put on small businesses and important exports. He can continue the tariffs on China. He can continue to use the economic strategies that Donald Trump put forward and had one of the thriving economies before COVID. But this isn't what's happening. Democrats do this. They put regulation in place that throttles and absolutely governs the money-making process of the United States of America and ships our money overseas and pays all of the people who should not get our money, the money that we do have. But the fact that we are printing money ad nauseum since 2020 and most of the money in circulation right now, over a quarter percent, like I said earlier, has all been printed shows that when we are $32 trillion in debt, it's not as good as the paper that it's on. It means nothing. We are in so much debt that there is no hope for us ever to get out of it. And that is the stark truth. We have reached the point of no return. There's enough, not enough money in the world. We could have every single country 
give us as much cash as they possibly could, and we would still be $29 trillion in debt. We're in deep trouble, and America has a spending problem. But more importantly, we have a budget problem. Joe Biden is proposing this new budget for 2021, and the word is completely contradictory to what's happening. It's not a budget. It's a shopping spree. And every Republican and every Democrat for the last 50 years has had a shopping spree every single year. A budget means you take the amount of surplus you have, reinvest into things that will create a negative spreadsheet, and then balance to zero to get to net positive after your investments. That's what a budget is. What they're doing is spending in deficit with no intent of paying it back and going on a shopping spree and running up a credit card and then going to declare bankruptcy once the bill collectors come. America is essentially an 18-year-old kid with an unlimited credit card, and we all know what that feels like, and we all had to learn that lesson. The United States seems to be behind the times and unable to learn it themselves. Gun control will not solve mass shootings. Here are the facts. And these are facts. I haven't taken on mass shootings. I've talked about mass shootings. I've talked about gun control. Now I'm going to tell you why gun control will absolutely not impact mass shootings in any way, shape, or form. The facts are in the wake of the tragic murder of the 17 innocent students, teachers at Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. We all remember the Parkland shooting. Students, educator, politicians, and activists were searching for solutions to prevent future school shootings. And this has been going on since Columbine and Sandy Hook. But there just was this new insurgence about gun control that really started right before Donald Trump took office. As emotions morph from grief to anger to resolve, it is vitally important to supply facts so that policymakers and professionals can fashion solutions based on objective data rather than well-intended but misguided emotional fixes. And that's really where we are. We've left the discourse on the table. We're no longer arguing points. We are simply digging our line in the sand and saying, this is what needs to happen. Unfettered access to guns or ban them all. There's no middle ground. Are there ways to reduce gun violence in school shootings? Yes, but only after objectively assessing the facts and working collaboratively to fashion common sense solutions. Definitions. Mass shooting typically refers to mass killings perpetrated by a firearm or firearms. In 2013, Congress defined mass killing as three or more killings in a single incident. Recommended from that is this new definition that a lot of these shootings that are ones and twos or suicides aren't counted in this total. As incidents that, uh, that occur in the absence of other criminal activity, such as robberies, drug deals, and gang-related turf wars, in which a gun is used to kill four or more victims at a public location. Can't believe we have to split hairs like this. It's ridiculous. Mass killings are rare, and mass public shootings are even rarer. Mass killings are very, very rare, according for only point, uh, accounting for only 0.2% of homicides every year and approximately 1% of homicide victims. Only 12% of mass killings are mass public shootings. Most mass killings are family asides, murders of family members or intimate partners, and felony-related killings such as robberies gone awry or gang-related turf battles. Although there has been a slight increase of the frequency of mass public shootings over the last few years, these rates are still similarly to, similar to what the United States experienced in the 1980s and early 1990s. It's actually gone down in 21, 20, and 19. Even though COVID was happening, we still saw some, but it has gone down. We're seeing an uptick now. Many gun control measures are not likely to be helpful. Over 90% of public mass shootings take place in gun-free zones, where civilians are not permitted to carry farm, firearms anyway. A complete ban on assault weapons will save very few lives. Six out of every 10 mass shootings are carried out by handguns alone, while only one in 10 is committed with a rifle alone. The average age of mass public shooters is 34, which means that increasing the minimum age for purchasing firearms would not target the main perpetrators of public mass shootings. Few mass public shooters have used high-capacity magazines, and there is no evidence that the lethality of their attacks would have been affected by delays of two to four seconds to switch magazines. In fact, some of the largest mass shootings in the U.S. historically carried out with low-capacity weapons. A Virginia Tech shooter killed 32 and injured 17 with two handguns, one of which had a 10-round mag, and the other a 15-round mag. 
he simply brought 19 extra magazines. 23 people were killed and another 20 injured in Kylian, Texas, cafeteria by a man with two 9mm handguns capable maximum of 15 rounds and 17 round mags, respectively. A mentally disturbed man armed with two handguns and a shotgun shot and killed 21 people in San Ysidro, McDonald's, and injured another 19. The handguns utilized 13-round and 20-round mags, and the shotgun had a five-round capacity. Number three, public mass shooters typically have histories of mental health issues. According to one study, 60% of mass public shooters have been diagnosed with a mental disorder or had demonstrated signs of a serious mental illness prior to the attack. A large body of research shows a statistical link between mass public killings and serious, untreated psychiatric illness. The most commonly diagnosed illnesses among mass public shooters are paranoid schizophrenia and severe depression. It is important to remember that the vast majority of people with mental disorders do not engage in violent behaviors, and there is no empirical means of effectively identifying potential mass murderers. The United States does not have an extraordinary problem with mass public shootings compared to other developed countries. After adjusting for population differences, many other developed countries have worse problems with mass public shootings than the United States has. There were 27% more casualties per capita from mass public shootings in the European Union than in the U.S. from 2009 to 15. Mass killers often find ways to kill without firearms. Some of the worst mass killings in the U.S. have occurred without firearms. Before the 16 Orlando nightclub shooting, the deadliest attack on LGBT community in America occurred in 1973 when an arsonist killed 32 and injured 15 in an upstairs lounge in New Orleans. 1987, a disgruntled former airline employee killed 43 people after he hijacked and intentionally crashed a passenger plane. In 1990, an angry ex-lover burned down the Happy Land Social Club where his former girlfriend worked, killing 87 others in the process. 1995, 168 people were killed and more than 600 were injured by a truck bomb parked outside the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. In 2017, a man in New York City killed eight and injured 11 by renting a truck and plowing down pedestrians on a Manhattan bike path. In other countries, bombings, mass stabbings, and car attacks frequently kill more people than even the deadliest mass shootings in the United States. Consider the following, Spain, 2004, 192 bombing deaths, 2,050 injuries, Great Britain, 52 deaths, 784 injuries. Japan, 2008, car ramming and stabbing, 7 deaths, 10 injuries. China, shovel loader, 11 deaths, 30 injuries. China, 2014, car ramming, 6 deaths, 13 injuries. 2014, mass stabbing, 31 deaths, 143 injuries. Germany, plane crash, 150 deaths. Belgium, 2016, bombing, 21 deaths, 180 injuries. France, car ramming, 86 deaths, 434 injuries. Germany, 16, car ramming, 11 deaths, 56 injuries. Japan, 16. Mass stabbing, 19 deaths, 45 injuries. Great Britain bombing, 22 deaths, 250 injuries. I can go on and on and on. Australia did not eliminate mass public shootings by banning assault weapons. Australia did not eliminate mass public shootings by banning assault weapons at all. Mass shootings in the country were rare before the 1996 National Firearms Act, and multiple casualty shootings still occur. Before 1996, firearms crimes in Australia rarely involved firearms prohibited under the National Firearms Act, suggesting that any change in firearm-related crimes or deaths is not due to the law. Further, Australia did not see a reduction in mass murders in the years immediately following enactment of the National Firearms Act. The country experienced six mass murders in which five or more people were killed. They just were not killed with guns. In an effort to try to find out and make sense of madness, we have replaced it with our own madness. Now, I understand the NRA has blocked every opportunity to study gun violence. I get it. But really, what does a study say? It is a base of opinions from a certain group of people who are motivated or pay to find the research that they are charged to find. If we want true fact-based evidence, it comes down to this. Guns stop million deaths a year, period, or at least million crimes a year that could result in more homicide. You have a right to defend yourself. The problem with that is just like everything. We talked about innocent until proven guilty earlier. You will incarcerate innocent people from time to time. Mistakes happen. You will also let guilty people go. But we shouldn't throw the entire system out because there are a few instances where it doesn't work. Guns most assuredly protect Americans. It stops crime. 
And two people with guns are less likely to get into an argument, try to harm one each other, rob each other, or anything else. This is why Texas has been successful with a lot of lower crime in suburbs. And most rural states are the same way, where most of the crime happens in the inner city per capita per state. And that is because there is unfettered access for criminals to have guns. There's not enough police and there's not enough armed citizens because the law prohibit people from carrying those weapons. The numbers are clear. The NRA concealed carry permit holders do not do and conduct mass shootings. In fact, I've said it before, most police officers rest easy when doing a traffic stop on a CCL or a concealed carry license holder because they have nothing in their record to be afraid of. They are cleared and checked. It comes down to this. Banning guns will not stop crime. Criminals will always have access to guns. We need to focus on the mental health aspect. There is one thing that every mass shooter has in common. It's not the type of guns they use. It's not that they played video games. It's not that they looked at pornography. It's not that they don't have God in their lives. It's not that they don't wear scully caps. It comes down to that every single one of them have mental health issues. And most of them were flagged and unmonitored by the FBI. Let's start there. Folks, thank you for watching the show tonight. Went a little long, but that's okay. I do appreciate you. Remember to stop by, like, share, and subscribe, and do all that type of stuff right here. You can click the little red envelope. Give me a like. Give me a follow. Give me a share. Remember, the Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255-PRESS-1. It is there for veterans to help you. It's free of charge. If you can't get a veteran to call, please stop by my website at don'tunfriendme.com. Click the VCL link, and you'll be connected to a VCL operator. If you're a civilian, that's okay. You don't have to be a veteran. They will find someone to help you as well. Folks, that's it for 134. I will not be doing a show this weekend, but I'll see you Monday. Please leave a comment, like, share, and subscribe. Say hello. Tell me what you're thinking. If there's anything in the show you like tonight, tell me that. And if you didn't like it, you can tell me that as well. Just remember, don't unfriend me. Have a good weekend, everybody. Bye-bye.